Welcome to The Common Bridge, where policy and current events are discussed in a fiercely nonpartisan manner. The host, Richard Helpy, is a philanthropist, entrepreneur, and political analyst who has over a million listeners around the world. The Common Bridge is available on Substack.com and draws guests and audiences across the political spectrum. And welcome to The Common Bridge. In this episode, the tables have turned and Rich is the guest on the show Spotlight TV, hosted by veteran CBS News host and Emmy Award-winning journalist Logan Crawford. We really think you're going to enjoy this episode. Hi, I'm Logan Crawford, and right now on Spotlight, we are talking to philanthropist and entrepreneur Richard Helpy, who is the man behind a wonderful podcast called Richard Helpy's Common Bridge. And Richard joins us now. Rich, thanks for joining us today. Logan, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. My pleasure. In this highly polarized world, do we have or can we find a common bridge? Well, there's days that I'm hopeful and there's days I'm not so hopeful. You know, I started the common bridge because I just got weary of the vitriol. The Republicans attacking the Democrats, the Democrats attacking the Republicans, and they basically got away with not addressing the issues of the day or talking about the opportunities of the moment. I asked the question, where's our health care financing policy? Where's our firearms policy? Where's our student debt policy? What are the sensible climate policies? We can't get there because our political class, which is supposed to deal with these, and the reporting class that's supposed to tell us what's going on, they're not doing their jobs. They're just too busy cheerleading. The combination of government and media feeding each other. I mean, we have this 24-hour news cycle now. And if you said to me the term firearm policy, I would say, "Uh uh-uh, that's gun control. Because as soon as you go to regulate guns at all, which most people would agree there should be some regulation, it's a hot topic button that is pressed and you're labeled either extreme right or extreme left. And then they get an expert on TV to talk about it and, and pummel you because of your moderate beliefs. That specific policy, I actually began this journey on firearms. And I said, what could be the middle ground here? And I think it's right there in the Constitution. A well-regulated militia and the right to keep and bear arms shall not be abridged. Sounds pretty simple, right? Well, the way I looked at it was this. We don't give a 16-year-old a driver's license and let that 16-year-old jump behind the wheel of a semi-truck. We don't let somebody go out and buy fireworks that are potentially destructive unless they can show they know how to handle them, know how to store them. Physicians, they don't get to come out of medical school and go immediately into lead a brain surgery. Pilots, first license, you can fly during the day on clear weather days under certain rules called visual flight rules. You don't get to fly a 757 on day one. But on firearms, if you're 18 years old, you can walk into a gun store, you can get a very powerful weapon, a thousand rounds of ammunition and walk out. Now, can we all at least agree that that's a little nuts? I would think most Americans would agree to that. And that's your common bridge. That's your common ground. But the problem is, and I'll have you address this a little bit, is the news media. You've got MSNBC to the far left. You've got Fox News to the far right. And they both try to vilify the person who proposes anything that is moderate and sensible. Well, because, again, they're 
business model is to keep you outraged. And so part of this polarization is that the, the right and the left, are, they've recruited their teams. And chief among those teams is the media alignment that, uh, just as you've described, look, turn on MSNBC, you know what they're going to say. It's comical how predictable they are. Similarly with Fox. CNN also is, you know, went over to the far left. And, you know, they, again, they've announced a change in their business model at CNN. They're going to report the news. Who would have thought a company with the name news in the middle of it would actually be reporting the news? But it's a bold step. I hope they actually do it. But part of this recruiting of the teams doesn't allow dialogue. So just to finish up on the firearms, you know, I said, why don't we have graduated gun licensing? You can get your first firearm. It can be a maybe a revolver, you know, six shots, you know, limited caliber. Prove you can handle that. Test, train for the next one. Maybe it's a semi-automatic handgun. You know, of course, deer rifles would come in here. Shotguns would come in here. And so over a period of, of time, you qualify for a more powerful weapon. And had this policy been in place, nearly all of these tragic shootings would have been prevented. The guy that went and shot up the grocery store in Boulder, first gun purchased, walked in, bought the gun, walked into the grocery store, killed 10 people. The kid in Florida that killed those kids in the Parkland High School, walked into a gun store, first gun, walked out with a thousand rounds of ammunition and a semi-automatic rifle. Where does anybody think that's a good idea? And what do you think the clerk that sold that to that young man was thinking? I can't believe that they didn't have some twinge of this can't end well. That's where I'm going. But we can't have those kind of discussions because one side wants to say, you're going to take away all my guns. The other side says, you want to have fire-free zones. And tragically, we're now seeing places where they're eliminating even reasonable measures for background checks and permitting for concealed carry. This can't end well. But again, it's that building of the team. So you've got the political parties have found that that's more popular than actually doing work. The media finds they can get eyeballs and readers and clicks by doing the same thing. And then what they do is they're looking, they're going to attack the other voters or the other political persuasions. They're going to claim certain demographics as their own, which is insane, as if we might be described by our ancestral heritage similarly, but I bet there's lots of things we don't agree about. Right. Then they're gonna line up their social media support, they're each going to come in with their own brand of censorship, and now we're going further apart. And the really tragic part of this is it just opens the door for corruption. Because instead of, as when you did your work at CBS, I would imagine that it wouldn't matter if it was a Republican, it was a Democrat, an Independent, or something else. If something was shady, they feared that you were going to ask questions about it. You were exactly. going to exercise some journalistic curiosity. I don't think they, they really fear that anymore in general. Right. And it's interesting because you had, for example, Jim Acosta from CNN being a pit bull against Trump, his whole presidency, which is fine so long as Jim Acosta is also a pit bull against Biden. Precisely. And we haven't seen that kind of vitriol, as you mentioned, against Biden. We saw it a lot against Trump. Biden's been given more or less a free pass. He's scrutinized here and there primarily by Fox, but it seems like CNN and MSNBC are his apologizers. Well, it's, you know, it's an unusual presidency that was brought about as a result of an unusual period in time. I don't think the country said, you know what, we need this very aging Joe Biden 
because out of the 330 million of it, that's our best choice. But I think people wanted to get off the Trump train. How did Trump get there? People didn't want Hillary Clinton to be president. Pretty simple. If you go through some of the voting data, it's really apparent that that's what happened, you know, with, you know, the top of the ticket voting for one party, but voting for the other right down the ballot, which demonstrates they didn't want Clinton, didn't want Trump. The similarities go beyond that. Each of the major two parties in the last two presidential elections, their losing candidate claimed the election was stolen from them. Right. Hillary Clinton said it in 18. She said it again in 19. Donald Trump has been saying it. And all of this polarization, and we've had close elections before, you know, 1960, 2000, ultimately those got resolved. And all that is doing is denigrating uh, the, the institutions and people don't know who to trust. And so when we try to deal with really big issues, you know, like infrastructure, like uh, climate and the environment, uh, like a pandemic. Um, you've got these competing forces that there's a, a factual base out there. And there are good people that are doing the studies and have factual bases. They have historical context. But that's not who we're listening to. We've got instead the partisan cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. And then we've got this other arm of misinformation and disinformation coming. And I think that those folks that we've elected in the political class have given up their uh, their position of trust, as, as many of those people that have reported to us. Right. And, and that's what we're trying to do on the Common Bridge, try to bring in people that can give us a factual basis. What's in the legislation? All right. And we've talked about infrastructure and supply chain and economic. Are there historical parallels is another thing that we talk about frequently. They try to get, bring people that can bring it together, uh, you know, social commentators that are trying to bring these together. We've gone into uh, specific legislations like the Texas abortion law with Professor Anthony Colangelo from Southern Methodist University. Here's how the law is designed. A law in Michigan that has abandoned seriously injured people and lots of people that are expert on COVID and medical treatment and what's happening to the health system. And that the thing that gets me every time I do an episode, Logan, is why isn't CBS or Fox News or MSNBC with their vast resources sitting and their their access to people better than mine? Why aren't they sitting down and interviewing people like this? Because it's not sexy. That's what it comes down to. You're proposing solutions and you're talking about issues that Americans deeply care about, which is why you have the following you have. But unfortunately, to the executive producer or the news director at a television station at any given point or time, they want the most inflammatory person possible to be espousing their viewpoints as opposed to the moderate viewpoint. And and this is where I, I think you asked the question is, can we meet on a common bridge? And I'm a perpetual optimist. So uh, if there's a way. I want to have a small part in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really wish it was a 35-year-old with the same vision and pushing hard uh, versus me. I, I wish it was somebody much better funded, like some of the you know the cable news networks or the some of the legacy broadcasters. But we're going to chip away because a friend of mine asked one time, "Well, how do we stop this crazy reporting and this crazy political behavior?" And my answer was, "Quit buying it." When we learn to turn from something that is just designed to inflame us 
If we can get that kind of instinct when people are listening, we're halfway there. But what I've discovered is that people's expectations are so lowered right now, they're mindfully choosing their preferred brand of misreporting. Exactly. Okay. Don't bother me with the facts. My mind is made up. Right. That's where they go. You can see it even people that know better denigrating institutions like law enforcement and the courts. If it wasn't so tragic, it would be funny. A jury renders a verdict in a high profile case. And you can look at your watch and go 15 minutes from now, there's going to be somebody on saying that, and you know exactly which ones it's going to be, mm-hmm. going to say that, you know, the, the jury got it wrong and that these are the worst people in the world. And so that all those folks, instead of saying there were people accused of something that it was heard by a, a judge and a jury instructed in the law and reached a verdict, instead of people saying, you know, that the system works, that it's been spoken, they go right on with the accusations. It's insane. I was going to ask you just to shift gears a little bit to free speech. Sure. Elon Musk looks like he's positioning himself to perhaps take over Twitter. And it looks like he'll do this on a platform of engaging all people and banning fewer people and absolutely promoting free speech. That seems troublesome to a lot of journalists out there, as ironic as that seems on the surface. What do you think of Elon Musk? What do you think of the possible takeover of Twitter and this filtering of our dialogue by big tech? The risk of big tech is almost beyond comprehension. Again, a historical parallel, if you go back to pre-World War II Germany and Austria, Adolf Hitler was able to control that country because of the monopolies. He only had to control two airplane companies, two chemical companies, and so forth. Today, if you think about the control over a handful of players. And I've written about this and spoken about this. Twitter is one. Microsoft is another one. Facebook, of course. And so think about if you're Facebook, for example. Let me summarize Mark Zuckerberg's approach. Regulate me before I harm more. He's saying, if you're the party in power, they've admitted it. We're telling him what we think is trouble. And he's complying with what they think is trouble. So they're using these private companies as a means of censorship. As it pertains to Twitter, Twitter is not a place for free speech. It is very far to the left. They have shut down some very good scientific talking points at a time when we needed them. So by way of example, the Great Barrington Declaration, which said everything we're doing about the pandemic in terms of public health model are wrong. It's going to extend the pandemic. It's going to give time for variants to come in. We're going to have more people sick and more people dying. The authors who are esteemed people from Harvard Medical School, Stanford University Medical, and Oxford were kicked off of Twitter. Now, they proved to be very accurate. Where's the mea culpa? There is none. People are never held responsibility. There are never any apologies. They kick you off and then ask questions perhaps later. They suspend Um, accounts based on hate speech that, I don't know, sometimes it'd be very challenged to find any hate speech in these postings and and tweets that people make. Well, the the other thing that I encourage people to do when they're they're reading the news and things is say, what is left out of the story? 
that's another another way to look at things. I'm reading about uh, this is kind of a topic fraught with risk, but I'll, I'll bring it up. Historically, black college and universities receiving threatening messages mm-hmm. and the FBI saying, yeah, we know who's doing this. And you read further, it's like, okay, who is it? Is it white supremacist group? Pretty sure if it was, they would have identified them. Right. It's okay, what didn't I hear? And now the story's died, which is another thing that, that constantly comes up, the outrage of the day. And then when it, it, it lives out there and then a factual basis comes in and then it dies. Great example, voting rights legislation. We all share a common interest in clean voting, as inclusive as possible, as easy to vote as possible. And there were state legislatures that did that. They've been challenged. They've won. And yet you hear our president go to Georgia, one of his own states, and say that he's going into the belly of the beast. Right. And and, there's, there's flat out lies that went around the news cycle, like you couldn't give a person in line in Georgia a glass of water. It's not true. Okay, it's uh, there's more early voting in Georgia than there is in Delaware and New York. But again, because people have gotten so weary, they just want to pick a team and believe that team. Exactly. And that's that to me is very, very dangerous. If you you look at places like The New York Times, I I will pick on them a little bit. Mm -hmm. They will feign that they're covering something. They'll leave out key items. And then when they finally get caught doing something wrong, it it's in passing in paragraph 35 of a 45 paragraph story. Right. right. And so, so I, what, again, what I tell people is when you're reading the stories, understand where it's coming from and understand what might be left out. And, you know, for, for Pete's sake, read the other side. Right. And look, this is what I'm saying is not original. Barack Obama was the commencement speaker when our, our daughter was getting her master's from the University of Michigan. Mm-hmm. And that was the the center part of his talk was, you know, if you read any named publications, if you read this, read these guys as well. If you listen to this, listen to those guys as well. I mean, it was inarguable right. that, that he did that. Um, but but things have changed a lot since Obama's yeah. days, believe it or not. At one point during his presidency, he said, based on his own personal beliefs, he was against gay marriage. Yeah. If he were to say that today, he would be labeled homophobic, and the statements would be labeled as hate speech. I mean, I think so many of our rights are eroded under the umbrella of hate, hate crime, and phobias. Precisely. And amplified by a media that captions something in really stupid little sound bites, and then it's every place. These hospitals are overrun because people are taking horse dewormer. Never true. NPR, Associated Press, they ran it, never had a basis in truth to it. Where is the journalism that says the state of Florida has passed legislation that says that there's not going to be classroom instruction about human health and sexuality from pre-K to the third grade and what's in the legislation? I, I haven't heard any, number one. No, no. All you get is the label, don't say gay. Right. And it works. It's great propaganda because a casual viewer or a casual reader who's just catching the headlines will say, hey, those people in Florida are crazy. They're not even allowed to talk about homosexuality anymore. And that's not true. No, it's not true. You know, and the, the thing is, I think back, my kindergarten teacher was well up there in age and was unmarried. I don't know anything. I, I don't know anything about her personal life. 
one of my favorite teachers, my fifth grade teacher, Mr. Wojcik, he was great because he would play softball with us, throw footballs at us. And, you know, apparently, you know, years later, someone said, oh, yeah, he was obviously a gay man. It's like, I never knew I'm a fifth grader. Why did I care what he did when he went home? That's the kind of thing that we're dealing with at this point, that we don't get an opportunity to examine issues. We go on the common bridge, and and I've had uh, two really good guests in law enforcement, in uh, Jerry Clayton, who's the sheriff of Washtenaw County, Michigan, that's where Ann Arbor is, and also James Craig, the former police chief in the city of Detroit. Both of them said they'd never get a chance to actually discuss policing and law enforcement and community relations in a 40 or 50 minute podcast because everybody wanted a 30 or 40 second soundbite. Exactly. And you're dealing with one of the most difficult jobs in the world. You never know whether you have to be a warrior, a marriage counselor, a EMS person, in, you know, for a, a drug overdose at any given moment. And, you know, Sheriff Clayton was talking about social workers. He said, that'd be great. He said, if we had enough to ride along with every car, good. But social workers aren't going to places we're going in at night. So right. <laughs> that's not going to happen. Yeah. So, and, and so, I mean, he made a good point. But again, this doesn't lend itself to simple sound bites. That's um, the beauty of the podcast is that it's long form. And I think that's why more and more Americans are tuning into podcasts like Common Bridge, because they actually want a thoughtful discussion of the issues. They're tired of the red meat being thrown to them. And I think that's why people are logging off of Facebook, deleting their Twitter accounts and, you know, putting blinders on and earmuffs on when it comes to MSNBC, CNN or Fox or you name it, even the local news. It all is a lot of garbage nowadays. You look for the one exclusion to the rule. And that's what you report on. You talked about the horse medicine uh, treating COVID patients. As a reporter, you get sent out there and you talk back to your desk and say, I can't find anybody who took that medication. No, they'll, they'll say, well, we heard of a woman who heard of somebody. Let's interview her. Right, right, and right. And, and by the way, it, it, it was a, uh, and it didn't come out till weeks later that there's actually a human dosage of that. And there's a veterinary dosage of that, just like a lot of different medications. But Someone seized on that and then made up stories about overdoses about it. it was just it was made up out of no place, but it fit the narrative. So out it went. What else we're doing on the common bridge, by the way, is that we have gone over to Substack and we're now we're writing columns. We have a newsletter coming out. If we're successful with this, and I've done a lot of startups and I know that sometimes you are, sometimes you're not. If we're successful with this, we'll build an audience that there'll be paid subscribers. The lowest I could get it was $5 a month. And not that I want $5 a month as much as I want to know that I don't have bots and memes and, and fake accounts and to try to generate a dialogue. Because here's the interesting part, Logan. I get lots of people email me. They'll text me if they have that, or I'll see them. They'll go, oh, I listen to your show all the time and I really like this part, you know, over here. And I said, oh, maybe you could comment on that. Well, you know, I don't know that I want to comment on that publicly because they're afraid of getting put on the other team. Exactly. They're also afraid of getting Googled by an employer or a coworker or a boss. And, you know, it's held against you. I mean, you've got a digital footprint out there that will be scrutinized and perhaps judged by 2030 <laughs> values as opposed to 2022 values. And what you're saying right now isn't kosher. Interesting you should mention that because I got a letter today talking about an investigation 
for something that happened someplace between, and I'm not making this up, 1946 and 1961, and the perpetrator's dead. And the victim or the alleged victim is at least 79. Amazing. And we're not talking about murder here. Okay. And and I I don't know the extent of what happened, but there comes a point where we just, we've got to deal with today and we have to look forward to tomorrow. And we need to, to understand, you know, here's where we are today. How do we go forward together? Okay. We've talked, by the way, on my podcast about uh, race and race relations and, and such. And the, you know, we've done a terrible injustices to uh, black Americans. Okay. It's been, you know, from the beginning of the country, you know, they, you know, weren't full citizens. We, we fought a civil war over it. Uh, during my lifetime, we had to pass a civil rights act, voting rights act. Um, and, and there's still subtle forms uh, of discrimination against black Americans that go on every day. Okay. No question about that. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean every other immigrant group that might not be from Europe gets to claim that. Right. Okay. It's you were, it's not you. It didn't have anything to do with you. Um, and, and, and where I almost spit my coffee on my computer screen when I read it and they've gotten off it since is that they lumped Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders together. And I'm like, (laughs) does anybody not know history? This is, this is not a a cohesive group. Um, The way they frame, they describe Asians at the time were Orientals. Mm -hmm. We're never allowed to vote in, Hawaii until Hawaii was annexed by the United States. Right. Okay. The, the Chinese, the Japanese, the, the Koreans were much lower class, uh, according to the Polynesians. Right. But, but suddenly it's all one unit. It's like, no, that's not even close to, to there's no ba- rationale for that at all. Period. Full right. stop. Um, go ahead. But, but again, it's part of the talking points. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, it, and it's it, it it makes no sense. And what it does is it diverts us from doing the necessary work and the necessary changes to make sure that every young person gets an opportunity for a decent education, a shot at a a, a decent life, um, maybe not a guarantee of one, but you know a, a level playing field and a shot at it. That's all we need to do here. It's not that hard. It's the American dream. And I think in your way, Richard, you're helping people fulfill that by finding that common bridge on issues that affect us all. For the viewers at home who are watching, we've been talking to Richard Helpy, who is the man behind a wonderful podcast called The Common Bridge. You can check out his work in the links below. Richard, thanks for joining us today. Logan, it's been a pleasure. Great chatting with you and uh, 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 blessings for you on your your future guests. And I, I like what you're doing. Keep it up. I appreciate that. And I'm Logan Crawford thanking you for your time this time. Until next time.